the word of the Lord from uh, the prophet Isaiah, uh, reading 51, chapter 51, verses 17 to 23. So I invite uh, your hearing in faith, uh, God's word here in Isaiah 51. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword. Who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, your Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. The bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more, and I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, Bow down that we may pass over you. And you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. You don't have to read uh, the Daily Oklahoman every day or watch the news uh, every day to come away with the fact that uh, we have a terrible crisis in our country uh, with uh, substance abuse. Uh, I think there's been a certainly a large outbreak of uh, different companies and counselors that can uh, help people. Uh, but we have a greater problem than substance abuse in the United States. There's a different type of substance that, uh, by and large, many, many people are, are drinking uh, that uh, is uh, destroying them in a way that they cannot imagine. Uh, and as is true in our country, it's also true uh, for everyone. Uh, so important to realize that uh, we need to perhaps sober up. And that's a message not just to people who belong to Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever. It's sometimes true for professing Christians. It's time to sober up. It's really the message of the prophet Isaiah to his countrymen. Because our text this morning is a text of sobriety. He's telling the nation it's time to sober up, start the journey, the exodus, return home. Uh, the controlling metaphor, therefore, of our entire text is uh, that, again, of uh, drunkenness and sobriety, uh, not in a literal sense, uh, as uh, the world needs to sober up, but in a spiritual sense. And therefore, uh, the notion of uh, drunkenness and sobriety breaks upon us uh, in a spiritual way in our text this morning. Isaiah is telling uh, the nation that uh, the time of judgment in Babylon is going to end. That's really the lesson of verses 17 to 20. And so it begins with a double imperative. Uh, 
he, he says, rouse yourselves or get up. Uh, then there follows another imperative, uh, rise up, O Jerusalem. It's really a figure of speech uh, for those who confess to belong to Jerusalem. So he's addressing uh, the people, not the city. Uh, and contextually, the imperatives uh, really brace the notion of sober up. It's time to get on with spiritual life uh, because they have been on a, a long defined binge, if you will, that's defined for us in verse 17. Let's look again at the text uh, and you can see the controlling metaphor. Uh, you who have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, the chalice of reeling, you have drained to its dregs. Uh, again, intensifies the metaphor by the fact that they are so drunk that they cannot even walk a straight line. Therefore, they're reeling from uh, this long, drunken binge. Uh, and, and the emphasis is, again, a spiritual one uh, uh, because it's, it's the content of the cup that is the wrath of God that they have drained dry uh, so that nothing is left of the cup. It's really quite a drunken binge if you think of the time of the captivity, some 70 years. That's a long time to go on a binge. Uh, but not, nonetheless, uh, uh, that metaphor that they are drunk on the wrath of God, and now it's time to sober up, to begin the journey home, uh, is the point of the text. Uh, the, the content of the cup is expanded uh, in verses 18 to 20, again, set against the context of the Babylonian destruction and exile. Uh, the metaphor intensifies, uh, to me, uh, in, in verse 18, for example, there's none to guide her among all the sons of, of, uh, of home. Uh, oftentimes in our country, we, uh, uh, we use phrases like uh, designated driver. <laughs> we, we all know what that means. Well, what the prophet Isaiah is saying is there's no designated, no designated driver because everyone is inebriated on the judgment of God. Uh, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, you have a you know, joke about a favorite uncle who you know, tips a bottle a little bit too much and we have to see him home from the bar. Well, there's no one to see him home because everyone's inebriated. Again, the extensiveness of uh, the inebriation on the wrath of God is complete to the nation. So there's none to see them home. Uh, the metaphor intensifies again in this simile of the antelope caught in a net. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a wild animal caught in a trap. It's, it's a pretty sad picture. Uh, but generally they fight as long as they can uh, until they are totally spent. They have no energy left to fight. Uh, how they are. Their uh, drunkenness is so prevailing that uh, you know, we might say that they've what passed out from, from the cup of the judgment of the wrath of God. Uh, illustration of this, by the way, uh, in other passage in Isaiah, if you turn in your Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 29, I'd like to expand this metaphor 
uh, beyond the one of judgment to one of deception. Uh, Isaiah chapter 29 and uh, the ninth verse. Uh, be delayed and wait, blind yourselves and be blind. They become drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. Contextually, as they've been drinking the deception of the false prophets that say, you don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> I mean, judgment, God's not going to judge you. Just don't worry. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep serving your idols and uh, peace, peace. Uh, there is no peace, the prophet says. Uh, so again, there is drunkenness from the wrath of God. But there's also drunkenness from deception. Uh, uh, sometimes you wonder, do you not, you know, how do I talk to people that I know who don't fully understand the gospel? Of course, you and I know that except God give them eyes to see, no one will ever understand the gospel, but there is a, another compelling reason. Lots of times people don't understand the gospel beyond the fact that they're blind, but they're inebriated on deception. Uh, we, don't, we don't really think of false teachings that way in our culture. But false teaching is a terrible drink, uh, and uh, uh, boy, you can really get inebriated on false teaching, and so much so that you become clueless as to the truth of Scripture. Uh, again, our recognition that we share the gospel with all, but save God, save uh, people are lost and in a terrible way, and there are many, many people in our culture, I, I sometimes fear, in the church itself. Uh, who uh, profess to be Christian, but who are uh, in a stupor over false teaching. And that's the point of uh, Isaiah chapter 29. Uh, but this, the, 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 the section here in Isaiah 51 concludes uh, with uh, additional specificity of the cup and the content, full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Uh, difficult to drink. And they've been made to drink it for 70 years. Uh, but now uh, the text uh, shifts. Uh, the time of judgment is uh, over with. It's time to sober up and obey God by leaving Babylon and engaging in the Exodus home uh, purged of idolatry. So there's a, the, the point of sober up is judgment is over with. And now you have a duty to go home uh, uh, and restart your life uh, after the second exodus. Uh, so, again, the price has been paid. They've finished the cup of judgment, wrath removed. Uh, furthermore, in the text, we learn, verses 21 to 23, that God suspends for that generation any future judgment. Uh, it's interesting here that the language reverses what we read in verse, verse 17. So look in your text to the 22nd verse of chapter 51. Uh, Behold, I've taken out of your hand the cup of reeling, the chalice of my anger. You will never drink it again. Promise to that generation that judgment will not come to them again. Uh, to awaken them to the reality to engage the exodus and return home. It's a reminder that the grace of God removing judgment has a corresponding duty. Uh, sad to say, I simply tell you, for those of you who know your Old Testament history, uh, uh, most, most of the nation stayed in Babylon. Uh, 
the effects of uh, their long drunk never really wore off. Uh, but it is a reminder of, uh, that many people, not just in the history of the nation of Israel, but the history of America, uh, are so drunk on judgment they don't, they don't have a clue as to the danger that they're in. And neither did the nation of Israel because, again, many will stay in Babylon. It's a great picture here of the grace of God, is there not? Uh, he says, I will, I will take the cup of judgment out of your hand uh, so that there's not only uh, uh, removal of the cup, there's a total generational reprieve. Uh, judgment is over with, and so they aren't going to have to drink that cup again. Well, the, the point of the text is really to uh, press us into our own age uh, because the metaphor is a type of uh, eternal judgment in which the ungodly are perpetually punished. Uh, and I say this because John alludes to Isaiah in the book of the Revelation. And so we are jumping now from the history of the nation uh, into our age and the future of all mankind uh, as this metaphor of the cup of judgment uh, breaks upon our age and our culture as a message to us uh, of the nature of the judgment of God. If you have your New Testament, turn to Revelation uh, chapter 14, uh, verses 9 and 10. And another angel, third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and has uh, its image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Notice, notice the text, full strength, indicating the severity in the permanence of the judgment. Uh, the people cross into a line, certainly when they die, uh, in which they will drink of that cup forever. That's the point of the metaphor as uh, John alludes to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 51, certainly verse 17. There's another cup, a greater cup uh, in eternity uh, that, uh, that has no bottom. It's bottomless, never runs out. Not a 70-year binge, if you will, like the nation of Israel, but a perpetual one, an eternal one, and the cup never, never runs dry. Uh, it's picked up again in uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 19. And the great city was split into three parts, and, and the cities of the nations fell in Babel, and the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine his fierce wrath. In other words, the specter of historic judgment in the Babylonian invasion spiritually by the prophets are transferred to our age because you and I live in spiritual Babylon. And all who belong to that city will drink the cup of the eternal wrath of of God in an unlimited way is our reminder to sober up and to get on the exodus uh, 
to begin with Christ and to follow him throughout our lives because of the specter of the cup of the fierce wrath of God. And again, John is alluding to Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17, but he intensifies it because in Isaiah, 70 years the cup uh, was finished, but uh, now the cup is totally unfinished of all who will drink it. Uh, it's a cup that never runs out. The severity never abates. And the ungodly will drink the cup of wrath forever. Forever. Uh, it's interesting theologically because uh, certainly epidemic in our own culture, uh, not in the population at large, but in the professing church, uh, who believes in the eternal wrath of God anymore? Well, certainly uh, John, <laughs> the author of the book of the Revelation does, and so did the prophet Isaiah. Uh, again, the settled view of Scripture is that there is eternal wrath uh, to satisfy uh, the eternal person of God who has been eternally offended. Uh, so I don't know what the church at large holds, but I have talked to many, many Christians who, who deny that there is a hell. Uh, they just simply forsake it, reject it, is uh, an indication they've been drinking a cup of deception. Because the truth of the scripture is, uh, the very essence of the gospel, is that the cup of the judgment, the fierce wrath of God, is going to be thrust into the hands of all who reject Christ, and they will drink it forever. It brings us uh, to uh, uh, the gospel that's presented in a very small form in Isaiah 51, but it's expanded, of course, uh, in the New Testament, the fullness of the revelation of God. Because uh, for the church, uh, the time of judgment has ended in Jesus. That's the point that uh, he drank the cup of judgment, the fierceness of the wrath of God to its bitter dregs. But he drank it as a substitute. He drank it for his people. It's the message of the gospel that Isaiah presents in a very minuscule form that's expanded for us as we look at the gospels. Uh, for example, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, uh, Christ in the moment is the passion and the agony of the passion and, and the simplicity of the knowledge that he knew what was about to break upon him. He begins to pray, Lord, would that you would remove this cup from me. What cup? the cup of the fierceness of the wrath of God. Uh, and yet, in faith, as the God-man, he says, yet not my will, but thy will be done. It's a cup he drinks for his church, that we might escape the eternality of the wrath of God, uh, to be drunk on judgment forever, world without end. Christ in time drank that cup. If you're a Christian, he drank that cup for you that you might never have to drink it. Remember the gospel, really in a minuscule form, in Isaiah chapter 51, uh, uh, he, the prophet says, uh, says to the nation, uh, you will never drink it again. Total generational reprieve, uh, the intensification of the typology is, uh, we will never drink of the cup of the judgment of God ever. The church throughout its generations, throughout the centuries, the church will never put its lips upon the cup of the wrath of God. It's the same thing uh, as uh, Christ leaves the garden 
uh, goes to confront the soldiers. By the way, great picture of the mercy of God because he's confronting them. He turns himself over. He's totally active uh, in what is about to occur to him. He's not passive. Our Savior is not passive about anything other than being passive, suffering in a passive way upon the cross. Uh, Peter draws his sword. He's going to fight. Jesus says, put it in its sheath. I have to drink the cup that the Father gives to me. The total surrender of the Son to drink the cup of the wrath of God. That, by the way, he did not deserve to drink because we deserved it. But he drank it for us and drained it to its bitter dregs. Because he's an eternal person, he's able to finish the cup and render an eternal payment to an eternal God. One of the sayings of our Savior on the cross, it is finished. Uh, in, in a metaphorical way, from the theology of Isaiah 51, the cup of the judgment of God, he finished drinking the cup and puts it away so that his people will never have to drink it or pick it up or put their lips upon that cup. It's interesting, there are, as you know, large, large swaths of American Christianity that hold that, uh, well, you're a Christian, but you've got some sins you still need to pay for, so in purgatory, you'll drink the cup of judgment. Uh, so Christ didn't say on the cross, it is finished. Uh, uh, he says something like, I did my part, you'll, you'll finish drinking the cup. I, I don't understand that, but a lot of professing Christians believe in purgatory. Uh, we know from the book of the Hebrews, uh, otherwise, that's pointed under man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. If you reject the Savior and uh, you die, then you drink the cup of judgment perpetually, eternally, irrevocably, irreplaceably, world without end. Uh, certainly the lesson of the gospel is Christ drank that cup for his people, believe in him, and uh, you will never drink that cup, and there is no such thing as purgatory. Uh, uh, we, uh, we leave this body in death. We go to be present with the Lord. Why? Because he drank the cup and, <laughs> and finished it to its most bitter dregs. That's the grace of God from the scriptures. So again, the words of Jesus, John 19, 30, it is finished, is our reminder that we escape wrath in him. He drank for us so that we might drink a different cup. Uh, the beauty of the essence of the gospel that he paid the price for us. And uh, the reminder that absent believing in him, uh, you'll drink it forever. But this means something else, uh, escaping wrath. It has a way of expressing itself in the life of God's people. Uh, namely, from the theology of the book of Isaiah, that we, we sober up and we walk in sobriety in the last great exodus. To give you an illustration, uh, I've, I'm, I've never been involved in law enforcement, but uh, I've seen enough television to know that uh, used to be when a policeman would stop someone that they suspected of uh, being inebriated, they would say, well, you know, walk this line. You know, as long as you can walk the line without stumbling and wandering all over the place, the guy would say, well, I, I guess you had a bad moment and uh, you reached for your comb and uh, you know, go about your way. But, well, the point of uh, the theology of Isaiah that's expanded up in the New Testament is that we walk soberly in the new exodus. 
we don't wander all over the place uh, where I, the prophet really takes us uh, because the removal of the cup of judgment means more than just we escape judgment. It means we have a new life in Christ and we walk soberly in this last great exodus. Uh, we, if you will, to use the metaphor of uh, the Apostle John, the book of the Revelation, we leave spiritual Babylon. In the Old Testament, it was a literal leaving of Babylon to return home. For us, uh, we don't literally check out of this life, but we spiritually leave the controlling influence of the world captured for us uh, in uh, the spiritual metaphor of Babylon picked up by John in the book of the Revelation. We leave that city uh, to engage uh, the last great final exodus to return to our home, the heavenly Jerusalem. And, and the reason uh, this is pronounced is because the Apostle Paul cites Isaiah chapter 51 in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. So I'm not just talking about uh, an eternal reality that we will never have to drink the cup of judgment. I'm also speaking of a concurrent, present, moral reality of sobriety in the Christian faith. Uh, not in terms of the controlling metaphor of drunkenness, but the controlling metaphor of new life in Christ, we sober up and we begin the march to our eternal home. Uh, has all kinds of moral implications. Uh, lots of people say, well, I've come to Christ, I've settled that issue, I can go wander and do whatever I want to do the rest of my life. No, you can't. Uh, because in the sobriety of the Christian faith and new life in Christ, you begin the march to the heavenly city. Let's look at that by reading a text. It's very interesting uh, that Paul uh, cites uh, Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17, and uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, uh, because Paul is using, once again, typology to indicate that the church is beginning to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah in an escalated form an intensified form of sobriety, of new life in Christ. Uh, and Christ is the light of our new exodus. All the sayings about Christ is the light of the world is, is uh, picking up the imagery of the pillar of fire in the exodus now being fulfilled in Christ as he leads his people to their new home. He's the light of the world. Uh, he's the pillar of fire that we follow. Uh, and like Israel was to leave Babylon, we leave the lifestyle of the old creation. Let's look at how the Apostle Paul defines that in Ephesians 5, verses 6 to 8. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. That is the point of the moral transformation of the last exodus in Christ as our light leading us. We don't partake with the ungodly uh, in this world. We don't participate with them. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. We break off uh, uh, from engaging and participating in their spiritual lifestyle. 
uh, look at look at verse eight. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Uh, so we don't check out of the world. Uh, you know, it's really something of the theology of the Catholic Church, isn't it? Become a monk. You know, leave the world to an isolated place. <laughs> you and I are not to do that. We live in the world. We just don't participate in its godly lifestyle. Uh, we shake it off. We move because uh, that is the point of the sobriety that uh, is broken upon us. Uh, Christ drank for us the cup of judgment, but we sober up when we begin the journey home. We don't stay in spiritual Babylon. We're moving. We're on the move to the great celestial city. Uh, and part of the sobriety so clear in the Old Testament context of Isaiah chapter 51 is abstaining from the ungodly practices and lifestyle of unbelievers. But it's even more intense than that. It's shaking off the deception that we can participate with them and escape judgment. That's what Paul is saying. Uh, do not be partakers with them because they're the sons of disobedience, and the sons of disobedience will drink the cup forever. Uh, fairly common in the, the Christian church uh, to believe that, well, I've come to Christ, and uh, I, can, I can become a Hindu and still be a Christian. I mean, I've actually heard people say that in so many words. Or I can uh, become a Christian, and you know, I can still enjoy uh, participating fully in substance abuse. Really? Again, they're, they're drunk on deception. They need to sober up. Start the, start the exodus uh, by the light who is Christ. Yeah, and, and so we reject that theology because, because uh, we're children of light. Uh, so look at, look at verse 14. Uh, as Paul alludes to Isaiah 51, 17. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. In other words, some in the Ephesian church here are drinking some bad theology and thinking they can participate in the ungodly actions of the unbelieving community, and they're still okay. Paul says, shake it off, sober up, and Christ will be your light and lead you in the true exodus to the celestial city. I think it's a lesson that needs to go out in all of Christianity, that you and I have come to the gospel because Christ has radically changed our lives. We're not perfect, I understand that. We still sin. Uh, sometimes we dabble in deception. Sometimes uh, we dabble maybe in substance abuse. God forbid. Uh, God saves us, but the light breaks upon us and we begin to move forward. We confess our sins. Uh, we shake off. We rise up because we're sober. And we walk uh, in such a manner uh, as to manifest that we are engaged in the last exodus and Christ is the pillar of fire leading us to our celestial home. I mean, maybe I'm speaking to someone this morning who needs to sober up. Well, I can participate with my ungodly friends and their, their parties or their trips to, I don't know, uh, name the place, Las Vegas. Uh, I can go to church uh, 
half a dozen times a year, and I'm okay. Well, I don't know whether you're okay or not. I don't, I don't wear the uniform of the referee in this great celestial match. But I know what the scripture says to you. Sober up. Christ will shine upon you. He's the light. He leads you in a different lifestyle. The last great final exodus shines upon his people, the new creation. And because we are men made new, we can no longer do the things that we used to do because we are no longer the men and women that by the grace of God we used to be. And so we sober up and we march onward, Christian soldiers, if you will, to recite the hymn. Uh, Notice, uh, notice the antidote to the bad theology that some in the Ephesian church are drinking. Verse 15, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Bad theology is everywhere. It's infected the Christian church. And what degree, I leave to you to estimate. I just I have my own opinions. Uh, but be careful how you walk. We're to be sober. Because Christ is our light. He's leading us in the new exodus because we're men made new. Notice, notice the progression. Uh, verse 2, Ephesians chapter 5, walk in love. Uh, verse 8, walk in the light. Verse 15, walk as wise because that's our exodus. One of the ways that you can know that you've engaged the last great final exodus is you walk in love, love of God, love for your neighbor. Uh, that you walk as a wise person. You realize that you cannot participate in the ungodly actions of the world in which we live uh, because you, you've been sobered up. Christ drank the cup of judgment and he uh, gave to you a different cup that you might walk in wisdom. Uh, and you walk in the light, Christ Again, the Exodus imagery carries over into the New Testament. Christ is the light of the world. He's the pillar of fire that leads his church uh, to get us home. Furthermore, uh, we drink the cup of blessing, do we not, of the new covenant uh, in celebration of the past and future. Let's think about that this morning, Grace Bible Church, as we uh, begin to approach the sacrament of the Lord's table.